Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Chapter American Academy of Pediatrics. The Ohio AAP promotes the health, safety, and well-being of children and adolescents so they may reach their full potential. We accomplish this by addressing the needs of children, their families, and their communities, and by supporting chapter members through advocacy, education, research, service, and improving the systems through which they deliver pediatric care. The Ohio Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Kiwanis Club of Columbus proudly presents a special series centering on health disparities and engaging minoritized communities entitled Infant Mortality After COVID-19, Saving Lives Through Family Health Podcast. My name is Jordi Wells, and I use my real-life experiences as a pediatric emergency medicine doctor to dig deep into complex issues affecting the lives of children in Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. You'll be listening to a panel discussion featuring Dr. Arthur James, former associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology and pediatrics at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center and Nationwide Children's Hospital, co-chair of the Ohio Collaborative to Prevent Infant Mortality and senior policy advisor to the Ohio Department of Health. Dr. Kiara Barnett, a former postdoctoral fellow at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity and current research scientist at the Center for Child Health Equity and Outcomes Research at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And finally, Dr. Valencia Walker, Associate Chief Diversity and Health Equity Officer for Nationwide Children's Hospital, Vice Chair for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and the Associate Division Chief for Health Equity and Inclusion for the Division of Neonatology. This conversation is a continuation of our panel discussion on infant mortality and health disparities in minoritized communities. To hear from the beginning, go back to our episode library and click on episode number one. I think a big part of the discussion that, you know, this really brings up is we talked about education, we talked about housing, um, which really gleans a light on what are these social determinants of health and how do they play a role in infant mortality? Can you share that with us, Dr. Barnett? Yeah, absolutely. So social determinants of health are kind of defined as the conditions of our daily life. Um, It can be, you know, where we are born, grow, work, play, pray, um, all of the above. And really it's just our lived experience from our day-to-day lives. And so like you said, it's our education, it's our housing, it's our socioeconomic status, the neighborhood in which we live in, um, our access to healthcare is also a social determinant of health. Um, and there's been extensive amount of research that has looked at how social determinants really are impacting our health outcomes. So as Dr. James said, you know, we we think about infant mortality in this space of this, this is a clinical problem, but the research on social determinants actually tells us that clinical care is only 20% of what makes a population health outcomes. That other 80% is the social determinants of health. So that's why collectively we have to come together beyond the physician's office to really have an impact on on health outcomes and especially infant mortality. Um, And when we think about how social determinants of health plays in infant mortality, Lots of research has looked at, you know, if you want to use housing as an example, think about kind of what does it mean to have unstable housing? What does that feel like? What kind of stress does that put on an individual um, who is experiencing that? And so if you think about that and also, you know, being pregnant and how that stress might induce something like preterm uh, preterm birth, which we know is one of the uh, major factors behind infant mortality. Um, and so, you know, not only housing, um, you know, there's a, a range of different social determinants of health um, that can, uh, uh, sorry, that can impact infant mortality. Um, 
again, a mother's education level has an impact on what kind of jobs and resources she might have um, that can also be impactful of her health outcomes as well. Excellent. And when I think of that, it's it's really hard not to kind of put that in the context of the last 18 plus months uh, in our country under this pandemic and how COVID-19 is definitely going to have an impact on family health. And um, can you discuss kind of how that would relate also to infant mortality, this kind of time that we're in right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we think about the impacts of COVID-19, we're oftentimes, again, just thinking about the people who've uh, you know, had the disease, had the virus, um, and then the health impacts that that might have. But then there's also this other, like, social impact of, of COVID-19. Um, so one, we know that when we think about the economic fallout of this pandemic, so who has been the most likely to lose their jobs or to have their pay reduced during this pandemic? And it's been our Black and Brown communities. And so we think about, you know, again, not having that resource of having uh, an income which in our country also our income is tied to our health insurance. So now we have women who are unable to seek prenatal care um, in, in a timely fashion because they don't have health insurance. And then we say, well, okay, well, she can get on public insurance. Well, yes, that, that, that is an option, but we also know that there's a lot of disparities that come with having uh, public insurance. And we know through conversations that we've had with women, um, who are pregnant, and particularly minority women, and they talk about the disparity or the, the discrimination they've experienced in the physician's office once the physician realizes you know, what type of insurance they have, the bias that comes into the conversations or the treatment plans that are in place. And so as we have this increase in economic fallout from the pandemic, we're also gonna have you know, this increase in health disparities that come along with it. Um, and again, tying it back to housing, we know that during this pandemic, um, our majority Black neighborhoods continue to see the highest rates of evictions. Even though we've had, the CDC has had their eviction moratoriums that have been in place, uh, landlords have been in line and waiting for that uh, moratorium to end so that they can file those evictions. And we know that for Black women, evictions are to for Black women what mass incarceration has been to Black men in this country. Meaning we have extremely high rates of, of evictions that occur for Black women, especially Black women uh, with children. Um, and again, if you think about just the stress of what does it mean to not know where, where you're going to lay your head at night, on top of other stressors that you might experience in your life, like food insecurity, uh, job security, all those things, um, it's going to have a, a major impact on their health outcomes and the outcomes of their babies as well. If I could just take a second to add a little piece of data to what Dr. Barnett just um, mentioned in terms of the effect of <clears throat> the coronavirus pandemic on, on deaths to African-American communities. When we compare 2019 excess deaths, Blacks compared to whites, when we compare 2019 to 2020, what we see is the following, <clears throat> where total mortality by population is concerned amongst Black men in 2019, there was 26% higher mortality overall between black men compared to white men. In 2020, to underscore the influence of COVID, that 26% excess deaths in black men compared to white men increased um, to 45%. Similarly amongst black women, in 2019, the excess 
deaths to black women in 2019 was 15% higher than in white women, but in 2020, it was 32% higher. So that <clears throat> this whole notion that, um, that COVID-19 had a disparate impact uh, on the black community uh, is, is fortified by a myriad of data, not the least of which is the excess death data that I just mentioned. And I think I have to piggyback off of that and say, you know, we're giving you all the, the numbers and the data, and we're telling you where the data is so that you can confirm it for yourself. But what we can't forget is that there are people behind that data. And so there have been some really good um, recent stories that have been published about our morticians that have black morticians that have disproportionately died. Um, when we look at the ages of black men that are disproportionately dying during this time of pandemic, we are literally losing community leaders, we're losing fathers, we're losing mentors. And that's just one example when we talk about some of our black men, those same issues are also showing up for black women when it comes to the ability to pursue better jobs, secure housing, to not have to deal with already high rates of premature birth and how those are also contributing to that challenge with getting the resources and support that we need to A, survive and B, recover as an overall community with everything that's been happening in recent, the recent 18 plus months. Absolutely. I think what's been great so far in our discussion is we've been really able to kind of talk about the larger historical perspective of infant mortality in Ohio and the racial disparities between black and white babies, in addition to the added stressors of what's been going on with COVID-19 and how that has um, affected uh, disparately uh, communities of color. And so as we consider resources and solutions, Dr. Walker, I would like you to discuss the importance of well care in that first year of life. Absolutely. When we talk about well care, we often, of course, you know, as pediatricians, neonatal, I'm a neonatologist, which is a pediatric subspecialist, we tend to focus on our patient, that individual infant, that individual child. But I think, again, Dr. Barnett and Dr. James have done this excellent job of really illustrating that it is not a patient, it's a family, it's a neighborhood, it's a community. So when we talk about well care, we're also talking about after a person delivers their baby, it's not just, okay, placenta is out, pregnancy's over, we don't have to worry about anything else. And so important measures like, you know, the recent passage of the Momnibus le legislation extending that postpartum care into the first year of life. I think that's a really critical and important solution. We have to put money behind care. We have to put attention and investment into the resources that we need. Uh, and so that's kind of more thinking about one example of a solution at like that federal level. Even within our state, you know, we have to think about how we're distributing our resources. And people often think that, oh, if we give everyone the same, it'll be fine, right? We think about this idea of equality and fairness. 
But when we add the historical perspective, right, when we stop being ahistorical about the redlining, about the segregation, about the property taxes, programs, and policies, we recognize that if we want to overcome these disparities and get our infants to where everyone else was 10 years ago, 30 years ago, then we have to be differential in how we do this. We also have to be very intentional with how we address individual bias and discrimination and mistreatment. You can't implicit bias train your way out of this solution. However, you do have to create and put in place standards, guidelines, principles, and policies that fundamentally change behavior so that people are seen and they're heard and they don't have, we, we overcome that bias, we overcome that racial inattention, that racial attention deficit that has become normalized within our culture. So there are different things that we have to do, including showing up to the well child checks, including fighting the misinformation that's out there about vaccines. You know, it's a responsibility to assure that we can all attain health and wellness by ending the discrimination that happens at the federal level, at the state level, on people's jobs. Um, even when we talk about differential in pay, Black women are paid, you know, 60 cents, 61 cents to every dollar of a white man, despite being one of the most educated groups of people in this country. So, um, Yes, we are clinicians, and yes, we're going to do all the appropriate well-child checks that you require in that first year of life, but we're also thinking about how to provide care for the entire family, safety, and care for the entire community, and how to be less discriminatory and actively anti-racist, and how we approach the structure and function of our society. Do you think you can give some individual or structural changes that need to occur in order to reduce um, racial disparity gaps in infant mortality, Dr. Walker? Absolutely. So one, we need to make sure that we have data and that we hold people accountable for the data that we collect. And, and that includes leadership and individuals. So if we see, we often presume when it comes to babies, you know, every baby gets diapers, every baby's encouraged, you know, the families are encouraged to provide human milk. But when we really examine our practices, we often see, again, that accumulation of deprioritization. Well, and especially now when our healthcare system is so strained, we have to be really vigilant as to what gets dropped in terms of our practices, programs, policies, and behaviors. And making sure that some things are never events. So within medicine, right, we, we recognize that medical errors cause death, disfigurement, and dying. And we have to take a never event approach to how we care for minoritized and marginalized babies and their families. There should never be disrespect. There should never be an inattention to the concerns that are raised. We should make sure that if we have nurseries across the state, that nurseries all have the adequate resources they need 
when it comes to providing education and care and well-being. Um, and so those are a few of the things that we can do. Um, and we have to work in concert with each other. A lot of times we're really big on, well, I've got this great program over here and it's siloed from what's happening in the community or we aren't listening to our community advocates at all. And then of course the nerd in me, right? I, I work in an ivory tower and academic institution. We have to really deal with the mistrust when it comes to research and being involved in both the science and the clinical trials that happen, because that is really valuable as well in order to assure that we are getting the care we need and that the assumptions that are made, made about us are not based on racialized stereotypes, but on actual facts. To continue listening to the rest of our panel discussion on infant mortality and health disparities in minoritized communities, go back to our episode library and click on the remaining episodes.